Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Witness Lee. Witness Lee was captured by the Lord Jesus as a young man of 19 in his native China. He consecrated his life to preach the gospel, and later labored side by side with Watchman Nee for parts of three decades, before eventually bringing this ministry to the West in 1962. He spent the next 35 years speaking to Christians in North America and all over the world before going to be with the Lord in 1997. The life study of the Bible is his most significant contribution to the heritage of biblical exposition, and we're delighted to be able to bring you short portions of his spoken ministry today. If you have questions or comments, or would like to find other Christians in your area enjoying this same ministry, just email us, radio at lsm.org. Again, that's radio at lsm.org. Here's today's program. In Numbers chapter 20, the people of God were journeying through the wilderness on their way to the good land. But water was scarce, and the two million Hebrews, along with their substantial flocks and herds, were suffering. As might be expected, this caused the people to complain and contend with Moses The attitude of the people brought out frustration and even anger on the part of Moses, who had seen the Lord's own anger and judgment brought upon the people for their previous rebellions. But Moses' dealing with them in this case brought in God's judgment once more, only this time not upon the people, but upon Moses. Francis Ball has joined us today for a life study that's not only very interesting, but I think it's one that is full of a great lesson for us all. Francis, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. I do believe there are some very strategic lessons to be brought out today. That's a good word, I think, Francis. We're going to open our program a little differently today. You know, we've mentioned to our listeners many times that these messages in these life study programs were given by Witness Lee mostly in semi-annual conferences or trainings, as he called them. And usually there was one in the summertime and another one in the winter. Uh, When one of these conferences would begin, he would typically open them with a marvelous prayer that would really set the tone and bring the Lord's presence into the whole atmosphere for those uh, several days that we were gathered there with him. I think uh, you would testify, as I would, that these prayers were very memorable and left quite an impact on those who were attended and gathered. Yes, they certainly are. Very touching and very revealing. The heart of God is touched in these prayers. Well, we uh, this program happens to come from the opening session of one of these conferences, one of these trainings, and so we thought it would be a good chance maybe to take a couple of minutes and let our listeners hear one of these prayers. And uh, as you said, it's a good window into a prayer of a very mature believer who had been walking with the Lord and in his word for many, many years. So it's a good lesson for all of us, I think. Why don't we listen to this prayer? Let's do. Lord, how we worship you for all your sovereign grace. We are just under your enjoyment. Lord, we look into you further. Lord, you know we can do nothing. And we have nothing. And we are nothing. So, Lord, we put our trust in you. Our trust is not in ourselves, but in you. We trust in your blessing. We trust in your anointing. We trust in your washing, cleansing with your precious blood. And Lord, we also trust in your covering. Lord, defeat the enemy. Our enemy, which is your enemy. We hate him. We 
we touch your throne about him. Uh, we will bind him in your mighty name. And we believe what we bind here on earth must be what you have bound in heaven already. Now we thank you for your victory. The victory you have won on the cross to put the enemy to death, to put the enemy to Hades. Now he should not be here. You should be here. This is your sanctuary. Now separate this place, a holy place, that we may meet you and you may meet us. And Lord, touch our heart, touch the depth of spirit, that we may be one with you in speaking and in hearing. Lord, we pray that you are so gracious. So Lord, give us what we want. Give us what we need. Lord, again, you do something marvelous to accomplish your purpose among us. Take away all the cloud, all the fog, all the smog, all the doubtings, all the shadows. Lord, just say yourself upon us and within us, even from within us. Lord, make this hall full of light, full of yourself, full of anointing, full of your liberty. Lord, grant the liberty to release everything concerning you. All the riches from your grace. Lord, release among us. Glorify yourself. In your mighty name, we look into you. Amen. Francis, what a marvelous enjoyment it is for us to hear that again after uh, so many years. One thing that I noticed listening to this one again was how always he struck the Lord's heart, the Lord's interest, and the Lord's desire in his prayers. This is a real pattern, isn't it? That's right. And we really appreciate his opening up these trainings in such a way that brought in the Lord's presence and put us in another atmosphere. Well, Francis, we've come to chapter 20. An interesting story in chapter 20. It deals with the wandering children of Israel were in a part in the desert and water had become very scarce. And of course, this brought about a complaining and a grumbling among them. Two million with cattle and uh, flocks of uh, sheep and other animals. This was quite a, a caravan marching through the desert that desperately needed a lot of water, didn't they? I would think they'd be desperately in need for water, especially you consider that probably a third of these were children. Right. And so there's a need for taking care of their situation. Without water, I don't see how you could go on. We're going to see today, the striking thing is how different this uh, complaint is from the ones that had gone before. Moses is in a situation we could identify with because he'd been the recipient of a lot of this grumbling and complaining in the past, and he'd seen the Lord's anger and judgment uh, brought upon the children of Israel for this kind of behavior. So here they are again complaining. So Moses now takes it upon himself to uh, display some anger and some frustration with the people, and the result is not at all what he expected. Yeah, right. I think this would help us to realize when we get into this that uh, it's not good to try to outguess God right? and think that because such and such a thing happened once before that that's what will happen again. I think we'll see a new attitude toward this kind of complaining. Let's read a couple of verses, Francis, to set up the story here. I'm in verse 2 now, chapter 20. And there was no water for the assembly, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had expired when our brothers expired before Jehovah. Why then have you brought the congregation of Jehovah into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die there? And if we jump to verse 7, after Moses has besought the Lord, 
Uh, it says, Then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod and gather the assembly, you and Aaron your brother, and speak to the rock before their eyes, so that it yields its water. Thus you shall bring forth water for them out of the rock, and give the assembly and their livestock a drink. And Moses took the rod from before Jehovah, as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his rod twice. And abundant water came forth, and the assembly and their livestock drank. And Jehovah said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to sanctify me in the sight of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the children of Israel contended with Jehovah, and he was sanctified among them. Very interesting. Moses' reaction, I don't know about you, Francis, but I can see myself reacting almost exactly the same way, if not worse. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's, (laughs) That's what came to me, too, in this. Chris, we saw this matter of the rock and the water coming out of the rock, and the smiting of the rock in uh, chapter 17 of Exodus. That rock that followed them was Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it makes it very clear. And so to strike that rock was like the crucifixion of the Lord. Uh, Moses representing the law, striking the rock, and then God being above the rock, and uh, the water flowing out of the rock is the type of the Spirit coming out. You actually have the triune God there. Now we're Back to the rock again. Yes. Well, let's get to uh, this first portion, Francis. I look forward to fellowship from Witness Lee and our own fellowship today. In ancient time, especially while people were journeying in the wilderness, water was a big problem. How many were there? Over two millions. One third should be children and boys and girls. Without water, how could they take care of these little ones? And they have also the kettles. It was a big problem. In Exodus chapter 17, such a thing happened once. Now again, they encountered the same thing. These three verses, 3, 4, and 5, say, The people contended with Moses, Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for seed, for figs, or vines, and there's no water to drink. Oh, Moses got bothered. So, verse 6 says, Then Moses Aaron went from the presence of the congregation to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and fell on their faces. They had no way to face the situation. They had no way. They just went to God, and they had no word to utter. They just fell on their faces. And the glory of Jehovah appeared to them. No doubt, both Moses and Aaron, I believe, especially Moses, was really mad. When he fell on his face before God, he didn't say anything. Then God told him, Moses, take your rod and go to the rock and tell the rock to throw out the water. That's all. But, you know, what Moses did? He said to them, here now. You rebels, do you think we will bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then what? And he lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice. 
actually not even once needed. The Lord didn't tell Moses to strike the rock again. Just speak. You don't need to strike any further. The rock God struck already in Exodus chapter 17. And that rock, you know, according to verse 4 in First Corinthians, that rock was a, a living rock followed all the way with Israel. So, such a faithful servant, serving God in the wilderness for 40 years, just due to this, to us, a small mistake. He lost his right to enter into the promised good land. Francis, I think it does seem like a fairly understandable and small mistake. Moses just went a little too far. But the consequences were extreme. There is really something here that we need to uh, pay attention to. Well, you see, Chris, what I'm getting from this is that we need to keep ourselves in the presence of the Lord after we have some word from him, that we adhere to that with full trust in him. Mm -hmm. And uh, Moses, uh, no doubt, he was reacting. I think most of us in a position like that would have certainly had a similar reaction, maybe more severe. Right. Because at least you have to hand it to uh, Moses and Aaron. They didn't try to answer the complaints directly. They went to the Lord, and they fell on their faces not knowing what to do. But when God told them what to do, for some reason, the anger that was in Moses outweighed the uh, details of what the Lord had said. He said, go speak to the rock. And actually, once the rock has been smitten, all we need to do is speak to it. And instead of uh, just speaking, well, he struck the rock, not just once, but twice. And this was no doubt an offense to God. I think we can take a big lesson from this. Don't get mad. And uh, the extreme consequence, this event, you know, given all of the things that the Lord had done through Moses and how many times he had represented God before the people in a very faithful manner, and the Lord had vindicated his leadership and his uh, selection time and time again, and now uh, this one little event, so-called little event, and it cost him going into the good land with the people. Very sobering word. I think we need to not gloss over this section, but spend some time and get into it. So we're going to go back and uh, pick it up once again. Here's Witness Lee once more. Moses was mad. Do you believe that God was also mad? Was God mad or happy? God was not mad. You mothers who uh, nurse your babes, quite often your babes became naughty when at the time they got thirsty, they began naughty. Then, at that juncture, would your mothers be mad or be happy? Not once I saw that the mother would be angry. The mother always came smiling. That was the time for the mother to cherish that little one. In Exodus chapter 17, they were short of water. They made trouble with God. Neither God was mad with them. God was so happy. So happy to bring out the living water from the smitten rock. But in Numbers 11, when the people were lusting after flesh, that was not one of the necessities. So God was mad with them. Even though God supplied them with a log quills, yet God was mad. 
Could you differentiate the two? For the necessities, God was not offended. But for the lusting, God was offended. And here again, they were short of what? They were short of water. In a good sense, God should bear the responsibility to supply them with this water. So God was not mad. You can see Moses became quite different from God. Moses was always one with God, but in this respect, there was a big discrepancy between Moses and God. Moses was on a position to represent God. He was God's representative. He represented God wrongly. He presented God to his people in a wrong way. Especially at that juncture, God was not mad. Moses, you represent me, but you are mad. So you present me to my people a kind of wrong expression. You didn't sanctify me by your saying, you rebels, this, you give my people the impression I was bad as you were. So you represented me wrongly. And this means what? This means you didn't sanctify me. You didn't make me a God full of mercy, a God so gracious. Could you see this? Ah, I think the view gets more clear here. <laughs> the problem is that, that Moses was representing God to the people, so his action misrepresented God's very nature. This is really a word for all of those leading ones among God's people, isn't it, Francis? It certainly is. I feel like that this puts a big responsibility on any who take any kind of lead among God's people and the attitude that they have towards God's people. It must be according to God's nature. God being a God of mercy and a gracious God in all his dealings with his people. Of course, we've had God's judgment on the people before this, but it's always based on lust. But when it came to a matter of uh, necessity, like uh, when he gave them manna because they had no food in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. and now when he gives them water, that's because that's a necessity of life. And the Lord takes the responsibility to supply our necessities. But when they reacted in that way because there was no water, their accusations come against Moses. And Moses, I would think, was kind of expecting that God would certainly judge him again. And so he calls them rebels. And uh, he didn't follow God's nature and God's uh, attitude toward his people. And because he was in his temper, it was hard for him to represent God in a proper way. And that brings us to Moses' temper, which is really the uh, focus of our final portion today. Let's go back to Witness Lee. From this, we all have to realize that when you go to the Lord concerning his people, be careful. If you accuse them with some word, you surely will offend God. Then the next thing is this. We, representing him, always should learn how to take care of God's holy nature. And to take care of God's holy nature, this is what God says to sanctify him. To sanctify God is just to take care of God's holy nature, especially concerning his people. You must do things, say things concerning God's people absolutely according to God's holy nature. 
And this is to sanctify him. Then he has his administration. He has his economy. He has his way of actions. But Moses, he broke the principles of God's economy. You know, when he was mad, he struck the rock twice. Be careful. Don't get yourself mad so easily. And Ephesians 4 tells us, don't be mad for a longer time. So Moses here offended God's holy nature, and also he offended God's divine economy. So these two points were not a small thing. He represented God wrongly, and he broke the divine principles in God's economy. It was due to this. So Moses lost his right to enter into the good land. Moses was intimate to God, close to God. In a good sense, he should be considered as a friend to God. But he lost his right. That was not a small thing. So, dear saints, concerning God's people, when you are offended, when you are being mad, be careful to speak about them. This means a lot. This will help us also in the kingdom of God. This is why I would recommend you to read Matthew 18. There you could see the best way for you to be kept in God's kingdom is to forgive people. When you got stumbled, you should forgive. This is the easiest way for you to stay in the kingdom. If you only know to condemn people, you have no intention to forgive people, you get trouble. There's the need of forgiveness, which means forgetting all the time. Francis, I'd like to come at this one from his uh, exhortation here, his encouragement that we consider Matthew 18 in the kingdom as uh, it affects or relates to our temper and our anger focused on God's people. Why don't you uh, develop that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think it was very interesting that uh, Brother Lee points out if you want to remain in the kingdom, you have to be a person that forgives. And this is quite crucial. We're not accusers and we're not judges, but we're full of forgiveness. If we're one with God in his nature, we will stay in the kingdom if we learn how to forgive. He used a word here. He said, if you only know how to condemn people and have no intention to forgive them, then you get the trouble. Mm, that's certainly the uh, case with Moses, wasn't it? It was in this instance, wasn't it? You hear this much. You hear uh, God's so-called righteous nature being defended by uh, his spokesman, so-called on earth. And uh, we always need to be very cautious that what we have really touched is God's heart and concern and care for his people. Right. And Moses did, in this case, misrepresent God, confusing it with other so-called gods that are judgmental and fearful. But true God, God himself, is full of forgiveness and graciousness. And he has found a way to do that and maintain his righteousness, and that is the wonder of our gospel. Francis, I really enjoyed our fellowship today, and I really enjoyed the time we spent together listening to our brother's prayer. Uh, all together today. I'm very satisfied with our program. Thanks a lot for being here. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to come. We uh, are out of time. Point out quickly our toll-free number and invite you to contact us with your own comments or questions or inquiries about the printed material that we have to offer. And that is 
1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. For Francis Ball and Chris Wilde, thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Did you know that you can now enjoy the writings of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee on your PC or Mac, tablet, e-reader, or smartphone? Just go to lsm.org epublications to find out more. Again, that's lsm.org epublications. And thanks for listening today. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29 Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.